0: Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast, and this is your host, Ilana Levin. This is the comics podcast for the sort of folks who know that not only are comics political, they are a longstanding form of mass political communications and a really unique way to speak directly to an audience. And today, we have some guests who are working on a really exciting new comic series What if the attack on the U.S. Capitol succeeded? A tale of what was, what could have been, and what still could be. One six, the graphic novel is our topic today, and we are joined by two of the writers who made this book possible. It's written by Alan Jenkins and Gan Gulan and illustrated by Will Rosado. One six asks and answers the question, what if the January 6th, 2021 insurrection had been successful? The graphic novel chillingly illustrates how close we came to authoritarian rule in America, and the threats to our democracy we still face. And the tradition of speculative fiction like 1984 and The Handmaid's Tale and The Twilight Zone it explores themes of autocracy, scapegoating, strategic disinformation, and more, all through a compelling, character-driven story drawn on real-life events. One six travels the road that led from backroom meetings white supremacist rallies, and the Four Seasons landscaping parking lot to a violent attack on the Capitol that left several Americans dead and shook our nation to its core, it imagines a world in which the events of that day had turned out differently. So joining me, we have Alan Jenkins. He is a writer, Harvard Law School professor, and human rights advocate. He teaches courses on racial justice, strategic communications, and Supreme Court jurisprudence, and is a frequent commentator in broadcast and print media. He's also been on our podcast in the past to talk about Black Panther. Jenkins' previous positions include president and co-founder of the Social Justice Communication Lab, The Opportunity Agenda, director of human rights at the Ford Foundation, assistant to the Solicitor General at the U.S. Department of Justice, and assistant counsel at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. He is a member of the board of the Brooklyn Museum in New York City, where I just was, and a faculty advisor to the Carr Center for Human Rights. Welcome back to the show, Alan.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back.
0: You know, I knew you would be working on a comic from our conference, from when you were on the show. I know you you guys had actually done a comic as the opportunity agenda, but I could tell there was that desire in you to come up with more. And so it's really even exciting to see this come to come to pass.
1: Thank you. Anyone who's known me since I was 15 years old has predicted that I would eventually do a comic book. So it's great to actually make it happen.
0: And let me tell you, I was so relieved that it was really good. Um, (laughs) you know, I, I feel like from a standpoint of the political activism significance of this book, I might've like, I might've been like tempted to cover it anyway, but like added bonus guys, it's really good. Uh, also joining us is Gan Golan. He is the co-writer of One Slash Six. He is an activist, illustrator, and New York Times bestselling author who has been working for more than three decades as a grassroots organizer within social justice movements for racial and economic justice. He is co-author of the bestselling children's book parodies, Goodnight Bush and Goodnight Trump, and the critically acclaimed graphic novel, The Adventures of Unemployed Man, which played a role in the Occupy Wall Street movement. He is a lead designer of the People's Climate March, one of the largest climate mobilizations in history. I was there. There are photos. More recently, he is the co-founder of The Climate Clock, a global art project that counts down the critical time window remaining for humanity to enact systemic solutions to climate change. Welcome to the show, Gone.
2: So great to to, uh, be here and very excited to be on the show, finally. I'm a big fan of your work and the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I knew we'd have to get it together. I, uh, we have mutual former podcast guests, although only recently Charles Lynchner, I think, introduced us a very long time ago, and I, I knew this would have to happen someday. So t- tell us, guys, uh, what was the genesis of this project?
1: Well, I can start. This is Alan. I, uh, in the days and weeks after the insurrection, January 6th, 2021, I found myself waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, literally worrying about our democracy and worrying about the fact that the narrative in the country already seemed to be, you know what, we dodged a bullet, it's all over, you know, time to go back to business as usual. And you know, for me and for so many of us who are paying attention, it's not over. The threats still remain. Uh, you know, anti-Semitism, which was very much on display on January 6th are on the rise, uh, disinformation is on the rise, book burning of all things that we would have to talk yeah. about in 2023, uh, on the rise. And so, uh, and a lot of the election deniers, uh, are still very much in, in place and in an office. And so I started to think about what could be done to tell that story, to connect people to, uh, the threats that still remain and, and to, uh, ways to take action and immediately I thought of a graphic novel or a series of, of comic books as the right vehicle to do that. And then immediately after that, I thought of Gon Golan as the person I would most want to collaborate uh, in doing it. And somebody who I know is both a, uh, as a cultural strategist is brilliant and also is extremely talented, uh, creative. And so uh, the idea was born.
0: That's awesome. Gone when you got uh, when when Alan reached out to you. What, what were your thoughts about embarking on this project?
1: Well,
2: I was already deeply embroiled in social justice work uh, regarding other crises, um, working on climate issues, and working on trying to stop Trump from building a border wall um, in my wife's hometown. So uh, yeah. when Alan came to me with this idea, I thought, you know, what's what's one more crisis? to deal you know
0: Um,
2: no but he he sold me immediately it was such um it's just i you know the premise of it this idea of this alternate history in which the the um the insurrection the attempted coup succeeded would give us such a window into the big vision the grand plans of this um you know very strongly emerging uh right-wing extremist um white supremacist christian nationalist Call it what you like neo-confederate movement in the United States that we need to be taking a lot more seriously. So it had it all. It was something very important uh, to be talked about, but also just a really brilliant um, twist and way to creatively um, start to talk about this 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 huge issue.
0: And I know this came together really quickly. I remember, Gun, we spoke when you were looking uh, for an artist earlier on, and I'm, I'm really excited you got to work with Will Rosado. His, his art looks fabulous for this. How did you guys connect?
2: Um, well, you know, we put the feelers out there to lots of folks. And, um, you know, Will is a veteran. He's been in this game for a long time, and he immediately got it. You know, it was very interesting, actually, to talk to a number of artists um, and people who were completely in agreement with the issue, but some had some real fear about participating in this project, yeah. which was really fascinating because it just shows the level of real um, vulnerability that people are feeling right now. And 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 these threats that we saw of, of violence that we've seen throughout the country or more than threats, um, you know, which yeah. manifested on January 6th itself. It has really had a, a chilling effect on a lot of people wanting to put themselves out there. Will had no reservations and was like, yeah, I'm totally mm-hmm. game. I totally understand this idea. And he has added a lot through his art to the storytelling. And so he's just been a great, um, you know, part of our team. And uh, he worked on G.I. Joe and other sort of classic Marvel DC titles. Uh, but he most recently worked on La Boriquena, which is sort of a Puerto Rican yeah. superhero that rises up in the, in the wake of the hurricane and so um yeah he's been right there with us and we've been having a lot of fun working with him
0: that's so cool you know i i'm from the dc area originally and i was really excited to know confirmation that the resistance is going to be based out of ben's chili bowl the specificity of that was like yes this is good <laughs> for those who don't know that is a dc landmark like long standing yeah i don't even know how long the place has been open since long before anybody on this podcast was born, um, establishment.
1: Yeah, they've been around since the late 1950s and are still going. And it's interesting that, you know, people who spend time in DC uh, immediately peg it, even though we don't actually name a place where the resistance is. Uh, And uh, everybody else just thinks it's a fun connection to Chile. So I'm glad you caught it.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely! Maybe. No, the, the comic has a really good sense of place, and um, you know uh, that everything is just really freaking well done. I'm so glad to see it looking like this. And folks, this is available. How are you distributing it right now? It's on it's online, um, but like, what's the main distribution way for folks to get a hold of it?
1: Yeah, so the digital version is available on uh, Amazon and also on uh, Issue I S S U U, which is a, a digital platform. And so we're talking, uh, I guess, third week in February. In a couple of weeks, the print version will be available uh, hopefully everywhere. It'll definitely be on Amazon. Uh, We'll we'll be in comic book stores. And we're actually, because we got some support from a a, a couple of foundations, we're going to make free copies available to pro-democracy and anti-discrimination organizations to use in their organizing, in, in educational efforts. Uh, and, you know, just to, to help get the word to people who might not otherwise, uh, find it accessible.
0: Yeah. So like, what really are the goals of this project and and why do it as a comic book?
2: Well, you know, um, there has been a lot of reporting around January 6th. There was an 850 page report from the January 6th, uh, committee. But that is only going to reach a certain amount of people. And we felt that a graphic novel is actually a way to bring these very important issues to a much broader audience and in a way that's much more accessible and clear. And at the same time, we could tell parts of the story that a journalist couldn't or an academic Mm. couldn't or, you know, or it couldn't be said in the January 6th committee hearing report. And that is the speculative side of this story which is really important because uh, you know we were at a very we were very close to things going a different way on january 6th which would have put us in a remarkably different reality living in a very different country Um, and those threats those dangers actually still remain and so we need to remain vigilant we need to really uh continue to keep these in mind and um this speculative fiction sci-fi kind of approach to the story allows us to get into that, which is what we saw on January 6th was really just the tip of the iceberg of a much bigger vision for the transformation of American society. And so we wanted to tell that part of the story through this alternate reality timeline as well. And so um, that's the bigger picture that I think we have the flexibility to, to, to tell a story about um, in a graphic novel form that you just wouldn't have in these other medium, Uh, but the cool part of what we're doing is that we want to make sure that the factual parts of our story are very clear. And um, Alan could speak more to this, but we have a really grounded part of the story, and that'll be apparent in issue number two, which is forthcoming um, in the known provable facts about January 6th. Um, and that will be clearly distinguished in the storytelling from the speculative pieces. So people will know the difference between the factual part and the speculative part, and that the factual part is incredibly w- uh, well-researched and backed up throughout the story.
0: Awesome. Yeah. You know, when you're putting together a story that is speculative about something that came so close to happening and also is just so close in time, we can imagine so many different things, but it has to it has to pass a sort of sniff test, you know, because like we were all here, you know, we remember. How do you kind of spill out a speculation from something we were we were here for, right?
1: You know, one of the things we had the privilege to do is reach out to a lot of people who were experts of various kinds on uh, the insurrection and uh, in lo- its many dimensions, and I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. in a minute what I mean by that. So we talked to political reporters. We talked to some people who were there uh, uh, on January 6th, reporting on the Capitol. We spoke to people who were experts about disinformation, about uh, Christian nationalism, about white supremacy, and we asked them, "What are you most afraid of? Uh, you know, what could have happened?" And perhaps more important, uh, more importantly, what are you afraid might come back? Uh, How Mm -hmm. would the world have been different uh, or how would the world be different if some of these forces were in control? And it was really chilling. Uh, You know, there's some stuff that was almost too chilling to include in in a graphic novel uh, form, Uh, but we tried to mostly go there. You know, when the president, when former president Trump uh, in real, in the real world called uh, the media, certain media outlets, enemies of the people. What does that mean? Let's play that out. What, what consequences could that have had and what consequences could it have uh, when people were calling for suspending the Constitution or for uh, you know, declaring martial law? These are all real things that people with significant power and influence were calling for uh, ahead of and in some instances during January 6th. And so we took those things, we, you know, kind of uh, looked at the full list. We couldn't, you know, it's got to be a dramatic and efficient story, so we couldn't use them all. But Gon and I then spent many, many hours in a, a closed room, uh, you know, walking through how these things might play out and how they could be told in a dramatic, interesting, engaging form. And we're still doing it. So, uh, you know, as Gon mm-hmm. mentioned, chapter two, the the second issue is, Grounded uh, significantly in real events as well as some fictional ones, and we'll be clear about which is which. But you know, this new stuff coming out now from the uh, the Dominion uh, voting machine lit- uh, litigation, for example, we're learning new things that were happening at Fox News, uh, and uh, I have, as Gon mentioned, we've uh, you know we've really fact checked all of the true things, and so I have two fantastic research assistants, uh, Emily and Jennifer, who are constantly bringing new stuff to me and saying, hey, you know, this should really be included. So it's, it's been a, a, you know, an interesting blending of a creative uh, process, a generative process, and also kind of a research and academic process.
0: What was something, I mean, you know, it's an interesting question also about like making decisions about what you actually maybe don't want to run because it's, Maybe too much inspiration, perhaps, for people to do like counterintelligence work, like to have to think about those sorts of questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, one other thing I'll add, and and Gon may have more to say about this. We do not want to give anyone any ideas. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, everything we've depicted and that we're going to depict in future issues is rooted in something that has already been said or done. Uh, and we're just mm-hmm. taking it to its logical and, in sometimes, uh, in some cases, extreme, uh, you know, endpoint. But we're not trying to plant any seeds. Uh, and you know that happens in pop culture, where the the you know the character that you think is the villain actually becomes the hero for uh, you know people who have a different perspective. So we we've, we've tried to be pretty clear about that. And then you know there's some things that we you know we want this to be available to younger folks, uh, to a range of audiences. And so, mm. you know, there's some things that and this is part of the power of of comic books, you can allude to without having to show. And sometimes it's more chilling, mm-hmm. uh, but less graphic, if you will, uh, by doing it that way.
0: Totally. Um so how did you guys design your core cast and the particular point of view characters who we who the story is told through?
2: Yeah, well, we wanted to really show how the events of January 6th impact real people. This isn't just an abstract political issue about democracy. This is about how it affects our, our daily lives, whether we're political and consider ourselves activists or, we're, or whether we're not. Um, and we created four fictional characters. Um, they are all based on a lot of research that we've done on real individuals or groups of people. Um, but people who represent the breadth of the political spectrum in the United States. So not all of our characters are liberal. There's a MAGA Trump supporter, and we try to treat them all with um, a great deal of humanity to understand their motivations, whether they're doing something right or wrong. Um, how do people find themselves in these situations, and how are their lives transformed um, on January 6th? All of our characters are are really uh, their lives are, are thrown upside down, um, by the events of that day. And, um, that's both what, um, you know, defines their, their future, but also what brings them together. And that they are also a metaphor for, you know, the transformation of the country that would happen, um, if the, if the coup had been successful, but we really wanted to bring a lot of diversity to that story. So we have, um, a, a journalist, uh independent journalist working in Washington, D.C. who is about to break an important story uh, on the election. We have a um uh I don't want to give away too much, but you know, that some of this mm-hmm. will be revealed. But, you know, someone who's a former congressional staffer. We have a again, a MAGA supporter um who is uh, very close to his son who gets uh sort of uh brought into the into the militia movement. And then we have uh, you know, a first responder. Who's in DC, uh married to a Capitol police officer. And um, you know, they're all meant to just bring up different ways in which um January 6th would would radically change our lives and show the costs, um, and then how people adapt and and to this new reality. And, you know, we start to paint a picture of where do you find hope? Where do you find um solidarity? Where do you find resistance? And that will start to come out as the story emerges, Um, but how these very unlikely group of people actually find a great deal of connection.
0: Mm. Yeah, different points of view are, are really interesting ones to do to tell that story as well. And I, I, I really like where I think the stem of this work is heading and the very much like, the technology is like our technology, you know, but just mm. a little bit put towards a more totalitarian use of what we already have.
2: Absolutely. That's, I think, a really important point. You know, we're not trying to create some um, unimaginable reality. When the unimaginable has already happened Um, on January 6th, we never thought we would see that actually transpire. And there it happened right in front of all of us. And then as we sort of follow what could happen, we're not really inventing anything new. uh, And we're not throwing in, you know, Robots, time travel, aliens, anything like that. We're really just saying that, you know, what we have currently in our world today could be put towards terrible use if it ends up in the wrong hands or, you know, our government is taken over by, um, you know, a set of players who are very opposed to core American values. And, um, so there's not, you know, it's not a wild, uh, fantasy story. It's actually very, Uh, plausible and believable. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. makes it so terrifying. You know, we're not trying to create a dystopian story that um, takes you out of reality. It's meant really to reflect back the reality that we already took one step towards.
0: You know, the thing is, I'm someone who like, I don't watch The Handmaid's Tale. I'm not reading The Last of, watching The Last of Us. I I like famously love zombie media to the point where i used to throw an annual party called easter zombie but like since covid like i don't watch zombie media i there's all kinds of dystopian things that i just do not partake in right now because things are too terrible and i was surprised to find that i actually was a i I wasn't triggered by this do you know what i mean but like you i agree this is completely good possible to happen this time around i mean you know we see what's happening Ron DeSantis is full on fascist. Nikki Haley is full. I mean, they're all just like this, you know? Um, uh, but I, w- I was sort of surprised that I, that I was actually able to be excited and into it. And it wasn't like too scary, even though it is really scary. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's that, maybe it's some of the places that you're going or things that I've thought about. I'm not sure. Um, but I would say if you're listening to this, listeners, like, me as someone who's really delicate around certain things right now, I was still able to read this, and I, I found it exciting. You know what? Here's what it was. It's so much from the standpoint of people who are about to do something about it, mm. that I think that's what makes it something that you can read and enjoy.
1: yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that. And you know, as I noted, that's why you know that's what triggered me to to uh, contact Gon and, and work on this project was because I was feeling helpless. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and worried at the same time. And so, you know, we intentionally have created characters in a scenario where people are trying to solve the problem. They're trying to address the, the challenges to our democracy uh, and to the idea that we all have equal dignity. And we don't know if they're going to succeed or not. We certainly don't know in the first issue. Uh, but it's not about just things happening to characters who we care about. It's about, you know, characters who are definitely struggling with trauma and, uh, you know, very challenging circumstances, and all of them are doing something about it. And what we'll see Mm -hmm. over the course of the issues is them coming together to both fight about what to do and to occasionally uh, do it together. That, I hope, is what both makes it entertaining and also makes it hopeful uh, in a way that would be, you know, perhaps hard to read if it were uh you know headed in the other direction
0: yeah yeah i mean i have to say you know i don't know folks are listening to the show you've probably been like wow the show is not coming out as much as it was at one point i'll tell you i got covid in december i'm still struggling and you know dealing with this in a context in which the president is claiming that the Ongoing global pandemic is over, uh, is very disheartening. But, um, just the other week, I testified on Zoom city council hearing about the need to maintain masks in medical settings and on transit and to keep PCR testing available. Like my COVID was only positive on a PCR test. It, it never turned positive on a home rapid yes. test. They're not as accurate. Um, and having done that, I felt so much better afterwards. I, it was such a good and empowering experience. And, you know, I, I'm an organizer, like when crisis happens, I, I don't, I go and I do things about it because that's how I process it. Um And I guess, you know, there's a big piece of that that's also self-care, but like, I, I, I think that, yeah, like seeing people do something about it, making people feel like they can do something about it and bringing some agency is important to keeping you like. From despairing, it really is the antidote and antidote, yeah,
1: yeah, and you know something important to add here is that um, we're working with the Western States Center uh, to create an education and action guide that will go along with the series and be completely free and online uh, available to everyone uh, that allows people to who read the book or who don't read the book. Uh, to mm-hmm. go deeper on the facts, the real facts, and understand what actually happened, and you know, for instance, what threats remain to you know journalism or or to uh, free speech uh, or democracy, and then recommended action. So we're not going to you know prescribe exactly what readers should do, but we want to connect them to the ability to do something regarding the three you know themes in the narrative: uh, democracy. Discrimination and disinformation, and that's really important. It's you know, it's it's an important part of this work. Uh, we didn't want to make the you know the comic book a lecture because that would have been deadly, and none of us would have wanted to mm-hmm. read it ourselves. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that people who wanted to take additional steps could do that. And so we'll you know the guide will connect them to organizations, but also give them ideas about what they could do on on their own. Uh, and that's that's a critical. Part of this and Western State Center has been a really great partner in moving that forward.
0: That's so cool. I love a toolkit. Um, <laughs> it's, it was good to see that coming out with it. I think, you know, giving people action steps and, and partnering with an institution is, I mean, Alan, we all, all three of us have been in nonprofit land forever. Can I just say how amazing it is that this is the kind of thing that you can, that like, I'm not saying that you didn't take some pitching, but like that there are nonprofits who are open to understanding why this is valuable work. Now, it's not just we want to do this cultural piece. And the nonprofits are like, that must be a nice hobby. Bye. You know, (laughs) it's it's really shifted.
1: Yeah. You know, like like both of you, I've been part of the, the nonprofit industrial complex for a long time. I'm just, you know, newly sprung. Uh, in the last couple of years, um, um, uh, you know, in academia, but I have to say, and I've said this to Ghan, I have never gotten so many yeses so quickly from potential partners, from potential funders. We did a Kickstarter, uh, and raised, uh, exceeded, uh, ultimately our, uh, goals. And so I, you know, I think the idea is the right one. I think the timing is right. And, you know, I think we're, we're a good team, but I have no illusions that w- without Gone, you know, with a, who has a track record of successful graphic novels, uh, this would not have, you know, there would have been real questions about execution. Uh, but I, I've been very pleased about, uh, the support and collaboration that we've gotten.
0: You know, that's and, true. And I- like making a comic is a, a new form, is a different form of writing from any, from anything else. Was there anything that surprised you in the process as you guys were working on this together?
2: Uh, I think we're continually surprised, um, in that, you know, graphic novels are a very specific and unique way of storytelling. Um, they have a lot in common with film, um, being a visual medium. Uh, but you know, you have to think differently to create a compelling story. It is a story that's told page by page. The way that time unfolds in comics is so different than it uh, unfolds in prose or in film. And, uh, we were just talking about this today, how much you sort of have to do in film, you know, you shoot all your footage and then you edit it at the end. Uh, in comics, you sort of have to do your editing all up front before you commit to sort of shooting your scenes or actually drawing out the comic and storyboards. And so, um, yeah, it's very unique and you need to understand where its power lies and how to bring, you know, have that serve the story. Um, but that's sort of the beauty of it. I mean, we couldn't have gone out and made this as a film but we can produce a graphic novel. And it's still one of those few medium where you can tell an epic story that is within reach of a a very small team of creators. And sometimes, you know, it's a single person who creates an entire graphic novel, start to finish. So I just think, you know, it's it's a way to sort of punch way above your weight, um, if you have Mm -hmm. a good story to tell, and become part of those conversations that, you know, um you wouldn't normally have access to now that you have this thing to leverage and and we saw that with the release of our first issue we got some really great press and um that would have been you know if we tried to make the film that would be happening two years from now uh, after maybe the story is as relevant as it is now yeah. um and yeah. if we had tried to just write another news article it would have gotten lost in you know in the mix and so this was a really great strategic intervention to launch this conversation or keep this conversation about January 6th going, um, using a graphic novel, which, um, no one else had done at this scale around this subject. So, um, it has a real power. And, um, I think Mm -hmm. the more creators take advantage of that to tell serious stories that are timely and are relevant to what's happening right now. Um, I think we'll have, you know, more exciting stories to read about. Um, but also, it's a way for activists and, and social movement organizers to really move the conversation and um, bring people in, recruit people, drive people towards forms of action they can take out in the world. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's there could be a lot more really great timely uh, social movement graphic novels out there.
0: Totally, um, you know, I also was thinking about when you had brought on Will Rosato. Like, it's interesting, like with his work on GI Joe, for example. The way that that felt relevant to this is very interesting because, you know, I was a kid watching the G.I. Joe cartoon in the 80s. I have not read much in the way of the contemporary comics, and I know that the politics around those are actually more complicated and nuanced because it's being written by folks who have the freedom to do so often. Um, But, you know, it's interesting thinking about that, like, contrast from this story that was initially created specifically to be pro-military propaganda but also had like really good diversity <laughs> it was it was the army of the future but uh it was still the fucking army
2: yeah well let's just say uh will skills have definitely come in handy uh because when we just say you know militia guy storms uh you know office then yeah. he's yeah all the details are there he knows how to draw <laughs> You
0: know, yeah <laughs> all, all the things
2: that come with uh you know with that type of character, and so you know there there's a there's a you know this sort of dystopian authoritarian element in the story um that uses technology that uses military gear and all that stuff, and you know that that was uh you know a breeze for him, so he's actually used a lot of that background i think to to enrich the story that we're telling
0: as you guys were doing the actual news research. Like, what is something that you learned that was just really surprising? for As people who all followed the news already, as, you know, our majority of people listening to this you, have followed the news already, what was something that you'd uncovered in that research that just really caught you off guard, good or bad?
1: Well, yeah, you know, an early conversation we had was with a reporter who is, has been covering the uh, grand jury investigation in Georgia that has just, um, wound up. And, you know, he said to us, look, the, the big story here is not about the, uh, attack on the, the physical attack on the Capitol. He said, you know, that was a last ditch thrown together effort when everything else failed, but you guys need to take a look at the fake elector scheme at the strong arming of, uh, you know, election officials at the threats the you know attacks the uh, you know the the uh, planned kidnapping of Governor Whitmer in in uh, Michigan and the yes. forming of other capitals. They said that you know that's the real plan. And when all of that failed, then they tried direct violence on the Capitol. and that was chilling and really useful because uh, it caused us to at least in, in my case st- caused me to to step back and remember yeah you know the the juiciest part of this from a storytelling standpoint is the you know the people who who uh, stormed the capitol and you know with uh, carrying confederate flags and you know putting their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk but actually this was much more broad much more insidious and one of the challenges for us has been to find interesting ways to depict those other quieter attempts at a coup.
0: Yeah. You know, w- one thing that I've expressed frustration with, and I was glad to see that there are a few leftist thinkers who picked up on this also and have written about it. But I felt like for a lot of us on the left, people felt like they weren't allowed to acknowledge that this was bad just because we were also critical of Biden or something. And I'm like, no, that was terrifying. I, I don't know. I just sometimes worry that people you just sort of fall into this false equivalence that just, that. You know, as much as, as much as things are very bad that they could have been so much worse, as much as we are also kind of the only people who are pointing out about white supremacists taking over Portland, for example, like there's stuff that's happened at the lower level where the left has been the only people who've been doing anything or speaking about it. But I feel like we've kind of sometimes lost the sense of urgency or something. I don't know around, around what happened at the federal level. Maybe it doesn't matter though, because it is the states. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was going to say it, it. it is complicated, I think, for progressives for a bunch of reasons. One is, you, you know, you kind of want just like a little drop of closure, uh, you mm. know, after four years of, of the Trump administration. And so, you know, it, it, again, that, you know, dodged a bullet kind of idea uh, is an easy one. It's also, it, to fall into, it's also the case, as you note, that, Many of us are critical uh, of the Biden administration for a a bunch of reasons. And so it feels it can feel backward looking to to um, worry about the implications of January 6th, although for Mm -hmm. all the reasons we've discussed, it's not. It's also the case. And we're going to be taking this up in future issues of of one six. You know, most of us don't believe that the status quo of our democracy was that great before. Right. And so. You know, not all of us want to fight to, you know, preserve or protect or restore things exactly as they were on, uh, you know, on, on January 5th, 2021, or, or even, uh, you know, 2016. And that's something that our characters take up. You know, some of them are institutionalists and are like, we just got to restore the democracy. And of course, this is in a world where the, the insurrection has succeeded. And some of them, you know, are like, hell no, you know, we, we need to build something better. Uh, and, you know, so just as the people who founded the United States, you know, Hamilton and Washington and, you know, Jefferson, that crowd were fighting, bo- arguing with each other, both about how do we beat the British and what kind of country should we build instead? Mm-hmm. Our characters are going to be fighting about that. Uh, amongst each other, even as they are strategizing together to uh to restore some new vision of of democracy, I think those are all legitimate conversations to have and i'm you know I'm hoping that that the graphic novel will help to to spur and and to some extent uh you know legitimate some of that back and forth.
0: That's really great to hear
2: and and I would add to that I think a lot of us have felt disappointed on some level at the response to january 6th -hmm. uh, in the sense that there's been a real vacuum of what's an alternative vision here what is the thing that we are fighting for as alan mentioned like what is it's not just about stopping this insurrection or holding those who are responsible accountable it's about you know a real recognition that our institutions have increasingly failed to reflect the common good to create a common vision that we all feel we are working towards as a country. And um, those, those that vision has been voiced very clearly by social movements of the last decade. We saw that in Occupy Wall Street talking about income inequality. We've seen that with Black Lives Matter talking about racial inequality. And so many other movements that have also, you know, I think um, really mobilized over the last few years and we haven't seen that same level of visionary thinking reflected in many parts of our political system. And, you know, the best antidote towards, you know, some horrible dystopian vision is something that gives people hope that we feel we can all be a part of and is worth fighting for. And I think that has been absent from the national conversation and the Biden administration. And so there's has been, I think, a, a lack of energy. It's, it's just not... Um, as Alan said, defending the status quo, it's about building something new. And it really yeah. is something that we can't abdicate our own responsibility for creating. Um, you know, if political leaders are not willing to offer that and, you know, right wing fascists are very um motivated around their vision, we need to be out there and actively um constructing and fighting for the vision of the world that we believe um not just we want to live in, but is you know healthier for human beings and the planet and um and that's you know the a role that the left has traditionally played and i think it's something that we're being called upon again to do um and mm-hmm. that is really going to be the best antidote towards this growing fascist um movement in the united states
0: it's true because it just seems like the democrat establishment um is unaware how they all like it's like you they almost killed you you know this right and yet they're like we're gonna have a bipartisan bill it's like they just tried to kill you they just tried to kill you why do you think this is gonna happen any differently now
1: yeah you know uh, something that makes me think of is uh as i was just teaching this in my in my classroom a couple of weeks ago you know after the civil war Uh, At the end of the Civil War, President Lincoln and then especially President Johnson, uh, uh, Andrew Johnson, after uh, President Lincoln was assassinated, you know, they wanted to go back to business as usual. You know, all's forgiven. Come back Mm. into the union. uh, You know, well, slavery's over, but we don't really care how black people get treated uh, Mm -hmm. for the most part. And it was a set of radical Republicans. The Republicans at that time were the party of, of, uh, you know, abolition and, uh, greater freedom who said, you know, hell no. And, uh, you know, crafted the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments to our constitution and, uh, you know, engineered the reconstruction effort that brought the first uh, black men into Congress and allowed, you know, lots and lots of black men to vote. Uh, and, you know, the federal government was protecting their rights. And then, you know, as a country, we got tired of that and reconstruction ended. And that's when we were plunged into almost a hundred years of Jim Crow discrimination and lynching and the like. And so, you know, that same, you know, conversation is relevant now. Uh, you know, is, is all to be forgiven. And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, reunion is more important. Than reconstruction and uh, and realization of our democracy, or are we going to fight for it? Uh, you know, in the uh, you know political realm, and so you know we're hoping a few more people will choose the latter uh, as a result of engaging with this book.
0: Even if the U.S. had actually finished fighting the Civil War and actually committed to Reconstruction, we wouldn't still be having the reconstruction now, which is still what's happening now, you know?
1: No, that's it's right. Just... And we, you know, we <laughs> saw that, that, you know, we, yeah. we saw who was occupying the Capitol and what symbols they were carrying the Confederate flag, uh, and, uh, symbols of all things of Auschwitz, uh, and mm-hmm. just vile antisemitism, uh, and uh, anti-immigrant xenophobia and nationalism those are are of a piece to your to your point, Alana. We uh have never, or at least, you know, after a brief period of acknowledging the kind of transformation of our country into a true multicultural democracy that had to be done, uh we we lost interest in that and we're still fighting those battles. You know, the Charlottesville, the massacre and the fight fight the right uh protest, uh, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, that happened there was spurred by uh, you know, Confederate monuments, uh, the removal of Confederate monuments that were put up decades after the Civil War to reinstitute the notion of white supremacy and to alter the history of what the Civil War was about. Uh, and, you know, if we don't grapple with that, uh, it's, it's only going to continue to repeat itself.
2: And I think it speaks to some of the core motivation for the book, you know, which is in part about memory. And making sure that the significance of what happened on January 6th and really understanding the full breadth of it is not something that we forget, not something we sweep under the rug. There's been, you know, since day one, there were attempts to whitewash it and to basically gaslight the country and, um, make us really not acknowledge the severity of, um, what happened on that day and what its intentions were precisely so that we don't go deep. That we don't really address um, the the breadth of this uh, sort of neo fascist movement that's grown in the United States and has been again it's not a grassroots movement it has been funded very heavily by mm-hmm. um, by uh, a lot of billionaires out there and um, to protect their interests and and also not deal with the you know the deep um, bigotry and racism that is at the core of so much of it and um it's almost like we don't want to um really look clearly at how uh deep this uh this kind of illness has been and as a result we're not really effectively addressing this problem uh, of white supremacy and economic inequality in the united states and um you know we trump famously said on january 6th remember this day forever you know and Mm -hmm. he was of course Invoking that in a heroic sense, and yeah. you'll see how that plays in uh, in our comic book in this alternate rea- in alternative reality. But it's really part of the objective of what we've created. We want people to remember this day forever, and the reason we called it one six one slash six is so that it is evocative of other days that we remember so clearly, right. like 9-11, and that this should hold a place in our memory as significant as these other incredibly traumatic days in our history because if we forget things like this um you know the the likelihood of them happening again is um is increased and as we were saying that you know the the insurrection never really ended Uh, it didn't end on january 6th and the forces that uh mobilized on that day were really the expression of a lot of deeper things that had been in the works for a long time and those are still out there and so we need to not just remember what happened, but really um, dig a lot deeper on where all this stuff came from and where it might lead us.
0: Truly, I sometimes can't believe that Trump is not still literally in the Oval Office. I'm amazed that things went down the way they did in real life. So it's very easy for me to see this and be like, yep, yep. Also feel and understand the ability for it to happen again, because it feels so unlikely that it didn't happen that way, I guess. One of the things I noticed is that you guys are using some of the social media posts from Trump in sort of the upcoming promotional materials, but we don't really see his physical presence in this much. Uh, Was there an artistic Decision around how you wanted to depict or not depict him, like his physical presence in the comic.
1: Yeah, it's it's something we've discussed uh, a lot, and so yeah, to your point, uh, you you don't really see him uh, in issue one, but his presence is very much felt. So you you know you yes. see the golden idyllic statue, uh, you hear his or you read his voice uh, coming from drones and loudspeakers, and there's that kind of big brother esque. Uh, piece. And, you know, he he's much more present in uh, in upcoming issue two, which is, mm. uh, as we've said, set in real events. But we didn't want to make this about Trump. Uh, you know, nobody wants to look at, you know, more Trump images.
0: I know. Uh, God.
1: And, you know, and I think, you know, more importantly for us, if Trump disappeared tomorrow, we would still be living with Trumpism and mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the threats to a to, of authoritarianism and bigotry and disinformation. And so, you know, we wanted to, to um, you know, kind of reflect that, yes, Trump was very much a catalyst for this uh, episode and era in our nation's history. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, authoritarianism and bigotry are much more the villains of our story than uh, Donald J. Trump.
0: Which is... Really an interesting way to overcome a consistent challenge that I see in comics as well as most other media, where people like to tell stories with a very clear protagonist and a very clear antagonist. And in the reality is it's not individuals who are heroes, it's communities, it's organizing, it's people working together. But that also is often who we're up against. We're up against systems, not just people. And um even comics that we think of as like being really political and really excellent, or like like something like V for Vendetta, it still has a, a predominantly centered on the actions of a lone hero and then another person who he passes on a legacy to uh, rather than, and we do see uprising, but like it's not, it's more about these individual people. And so it's interesting and it's wise, but also speaks to the challenge that you guys are doing a story where it's not just about this one boogeyman, it's about a system. It's harder to do that, it really is.
2: I think that's exactly right. And that's how a lot of storytelling, heroic storytelling has really done a disservice to us out in the world uh, as we're trying to make real change because it is, you know, it might feel mythic, but it's also a bit of a myth that it is just individuals who move history. And certainly all the movements for social justice in this country were, you know, uh, an entire generation of people who committed themselves to a particular cause and had to deal with all of the things that go with that, you know, forming uh, coalitions and groups and infighting and um, and mm-hmm. we often don't see that story the real the real meat of how social change happens. We rarely see that told in popular media, and as a result, people get a wrong idea. You know, it's all about individual heroic action. We're all a Jedi with a lightsaber doing something really dramatic. Which, if you know, in social movement circles, it's like <laughs> could be really
0: really bad
2: <laughs> behavior. You know, just some lone narcissist trying to grab attention. Um, the The process of social change is much deeper and much richer. And you find, I think, much more valuable things in it. And anyone who is engaged in organizing or social movement work is the feeling of community, belonging, solidarity, and and really finding common cause with people who share not just your values, but values that are about protecting all humanity, protecting nature, um, protecting each other. That's really profound stuff. And it's very meaningful and it's very moving. And we don't see that. Uh, enough in stories and so you know we hope to exactly as you've named trying to move it away from the narrative of lone heroes you know uh into a place of what does it really take to protect democracy and to protect people who are um more vulnerable in our society and then make change and, and enact a society that actually does um take care of people better and um Yeah. So, uh, you know, hopefully that is as just as compelling as, as the Jedi narrative, but I think there's a a lot more truth in it.
1: Yeah. And I would add on, on the side of villains, you know, I think, um, two things. One is some of my favorite stories, uh, have, uh, villainy with nuance and villainy of, you know, systems and, and, uh, aspects of human behavior. So I'm going to date myself, but the original twilight zone, uh, Rod Serling, uh, mm-hmm. the, w- my favorite episode was uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which have, yeah, you know, people who haven't seen it, uh, we're basically a town tears itself apart over prejudices and fear and scapegoating and finger pointing. And then, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert, we find that it's, you know, aliens have just cultivated our own nature uh, to have us defeat ourselves so that they can just walk in and uh, you know take over planet earth without having fired a shot uh and you know i think it's it's brilliant uh and it's true a- as Gon noted it's you know it, it it's um kind of the worst of human behavior not a single you know darth vader type villain that are are often uh to blame for the the worst things that happen in in our society Gon... um uh, helped to create and illustrated for us, uh, when I was at the opportunity agenda, a great, uh, short comic book called, uh, Helvetica Bold, uh, a social justice superhero. And the villain in that series was the mindset. And so he was, uh, you know, depicted as, uh, you know, kind of muscle bound, uh, like headpiece. Uh, essentially, but uh, you know, in the end, the point was that often the villain is a mindset, not uh, an individual, and it it was challenging uh, and and continues to be challenging to depict that. But hopefully, we've we've struck the right balance.
0: Very cool. Um, you know, the cover of the comic itself—I know you guys have some variants because it's a comic, so of course there's variant covers. But the main cover of the comic um, is really powerful. You see. Uh, Someone off, uh, right off panel, but in the foreground is been hung on some gallows, and you see the the hordes of uh, people documenting this. Um, some Trump flags flying, and the Capitol dome on fire. Like what kind of went into designing that as the opening statement that people would see to, to tell the story?
2: Well, to be honest, we drew a lot from what happened on the mall that day on January 6th. Um, you know, there were gallows that were constructed on the mall, um, life-sized gallows. Um, and there were people, uh, in the crowd who were armed, um, and they were, um, you know, writing all kinds, you know, there was a, someone had scrawled murder the media on, you know, one of the doors to, um, the Capitol and there were chants and calls very overtly to hang Mike Pence when, um, he refused to break the law and do what Trump was trying to intimidate him into doing, which was certify these, uh, fake electors and essentially help Trump steal the election. Um, and you know, and then the fact that this was one of the most recorded crimes in history. Yes. Everyone had their own cell phones, uh, recording themselves, tweeting about what they were doing constantly. Um, and so we sort of put that absurd mixture of violence and self aggrandizement and, um, real, you know, dangerous, um, ideas together into one image to sum up you know what was very close what could have happened on January 6th um and so again it's it's just a few steps away from from reality but we were drawing heavily from uh you know news footage and photographs we saw in the media a lot of those characters in the crowd are coming straight out of um
0: those images. Actual yeah.
2: documented footage, yeah.
0: It was it was super real. I'm just like amazed that yeah, like that you guys were like, Yep, we're just gonna put in bike bands hanging on the cover. I'm like, this is badass. Have you gotten any pushback from that image from like well, I guess it's not on, it's not it's sold in retail yet at this moment, so
1: yeah, surprisingly, no. Uh you know, no one I, I don't know what people are saying to each other, but uh mm-hmm. no one has said to us, uh, you know, that this is inappropriate. And of course the answer is yeah, what was inappropriate was people building a, a gallows on the mall uh, yeah. and calling for for uh the vice president's death and trying to find him uh from what we can tell to actually uh carry that out. Uh but we haven't gotten that. I mean, we've got some haters and you know r- r- kind of right-wing uh you know critics which I, I view as a a badge of, of honor, but uh that has not been one of the things and uh that that they've singled out and uh to the contrary in terms of the uh the comic book industry thus far uh you know what we're hearing from from uh comic book store owners is yeah you know I'll that's that strikes the right balance it's stark it's startling but uh it's not so graphic as to be problematic and you know we think people are going to want to pick up the book for that reason
0: That's really awesome you know you mentioned some of the inspirations for this comic, things like nineteen eighty four and the Handmaid's Tale, and you cite those because those are also books that we all know and recognize, and that means something to us. But what are some of the lesser known inspirations for the book that you might not put in your promotional material because like people haven't heard of it, but that maybe our listeners would be interested in checking out movie book, whatever it is
1: yeah, well, I mean I can start i one of my main inspirations for this was the what if series uh that Marvel did as a comic book Mm. in the 70s and has (laughs) since done, you know, on Disney Plus. And actually, I I would say done really well. Uh, I liked the Disney Plus series. But I I have, you know, up in my attic, what if number one, the premise of which was what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four and, uh, you know, they and and Spider-Man quips something on, you know, on the front cover, wait till Dr. Doom and the other baddies get a load of the Fantastic Five. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. you know, that I bought that as a kid and it captured my imagination and the the idea of alternate timelines. And, you know, of course, the watcher is the narrator. And, you know, I just found it to be really freaky and interesting. And, you know, it's it's taken, I won't say how many decades, for uh, Hollywood to catch up to the notion of the multiverse. We're just now seeing, you know uh, uh, you know, uh, lots and lots of films, the Dr. Strange film, and of course, uh, everything everywhere all at once, which is my favorite film of, of the last 12 mm. months. Uh, so, you know, all of that for me, uh, in the comic book book sphere was, has been inspirational here, uh, just that this is a medium where you can do that and it doesn't, it's no more expensive to create uh, you know, a, a world that's different, really different from our own than to to create the actual one. And it, it's been really fun to be able to do that.
2: You know, I was always uh, really intrigued by alternate reality stories since I was a kid. Um, and one that uh, I love, that was one of the first comics, I, the mainstream comics I read as a kid was the Days of Future Past series from the X-Men, um, you know, which they made into a very forgettable movie. I actually remember the comic You know, where your character Wolverine and Kitty Pride are, you know, uh, thrust into an alternate future. I think Professor X is already dead and they have to basically defend themselves against all these sort of authoritarian, nightmarish threats. But really the story is about if you could go back in time and change things, what would you do? And I think that's so much at the core of so many multiverse stories is about choice. Um, And going back to that moment where we made a choice where, you know, reality took a different path and a different timeline was created. And we're really getting to the heart of that by telling a sort of political multiverse story in that we are faced with a really profound choice as to where we want to go as a society and as a country. Are we going to give in to sort of this, these neo-fascist Ideas that have destroyed so many societies. In fact, um, or are we going to fight for our democratic values and fight to protect uh, everyone in our society? And I think um, you know the multiverse uh, in our story presents us with that with that clear choice. Not just on what happened on January sixth, but of course, like all great dystopian stories, it's a power of painting this dystopian reality to sound the alarm bell and make us very uh, vigilant on um, the reality that could happen and how we must work to avoid it. And um, so seeing the future, all these great science fiction stories, and deciding which one we want, I think is uh, a great science fiction trope, but it's also at the core of, I think, what we need to do as a country right now.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Remind our listeners where they can pick up the comic and and also where they can keep up with both of your work online.
1: The comic book is available in digital form on Amazon right now uh, for Kindle and on uh, issue ISSUU for everyone else. It will be available early March uh, in print, uh, definitely from Amazon and in uh, hopefully in a comic book store near you. And so I hope that your listeners will go to a comic book store near them and say, hey, I hear this amazing book is coming. And mm. can you order it? We're trying to to pierce the uh, uh, Diamond uh, comic book distributor infrastructure and and get distributed that way. But demand is really going to help. Uh, also, please, uh, I hope your listeners will go to 16comics.com. So it's O-N-E-S-I-X comics.com. You can uh, there are links to buy the book, but also to get our education and action guide when that's available, and just to sign up for more information. Uh, it, I'm on uh, Twitter as Opportunity One. All my uh, Instagram posts are about gardening, so I don't know how interested hmm. your your listeners will will be about that. But um, we also are at 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 one six comics on um, Twitter and and Instagram.
0: Awesome. And what about you, Gon?
2: I try and stay off the socials, uh, for my mental health, but, um, you can actually find me at, uh, another project I'm doing, uh, the climate clock dot world, climate clock world. Don't forget the world. Um, and you can see some of the work that I'm doing on climate change, but, um, certainly feel free to sign up on our website, 16comics.com and reach out. We'd love to hear, uh, what people feel about this comic and, um, you know, engage in a deeper conversation with you about what we all can do about this together
0: well thank you both for joining us this is this has really been a pleasure and like i said i'm just so excited that it's so good and i'm really excited for reading what's next um as for me you know this is graphic policy radio we're on every podcast platform i am on twitter (laughs) a little bit too much e-l-a-n-a underscore brooklyn and as things move and change, that continues to be my handle wherever I'm going, strictly so that you guys can find me. <laughs> um, we have more graphic policy coming up for you soon, including another episode of our Deep Space Dive DS9 spinoff podcast. Mm-hmm. And yes, as we like to say, keep it geeky.